3: You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Monday afternoon. World Cup in progress. These lunchtimes, South Korea trail Ghana by a goal to nil with 32 minutes gone there in the first half. We'll keep you posted on that one through the afternoon. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a nice weekend. we have lots of chat and guests to come over the next couple of hours. And I have a lovely competition. I want to give one of you a €100 voucher to spend with my me. I'll tell you more about that in a wee while. But first today, you know I love my weekend newspapers. I buy a raft of them and I sit reading them and I pick things out of them and I enjoy catching up on the week gone And looking forward to the week ahead. Yesterday I picked up my Observer newspaper, and as I was leafing through the pages, I said, Is that himself? It is indeed. It's Tom Riley from Drawda. Cromwell's biggest fan and he's back in the news and he's on the line with me today on Late Lunch. Hello, Tom.
1: <laughs> Jerry, how are you doing? I, I'm so impressed. I've been elevated to the top of the show so that's, that's a, <laughs> a good thing. Obviously, I have to get into The Observer to do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, you mightn't be far wrong there, let me just say. But anyway, you are top of the bill today and you are uh, hugging the main pages of The Observer magazine. This is because there is uh, a new book coming out and a follow-up symposium in Dublin this week.
1: Yeah, um, for years there have been historians working on this particular book. It's um, the letters, writings and speeches of one um, Oliver Cromwell. Um, This is the third uh, iteration, if you like, of this. It's happened, there was one in the 19th century, there was one in the 1930s, but this is a more up-to-date one, and I think they've found... Um, documents and and letters and stuff that he that wouldn't have been included in the earlier editions. So um, yeah, it's it's and there's a narrative that would accompany this as well, Jerry. If you know what I mean, it's not just uh, staid and you know dusty old um, language that he would have used when he wrote all this stuff. Um, but there's there's an awful lot of um, available material. It's one of those times in in, in um, history uh, the, the history of England and Ireland where there's an awful lot of stuff available. So yeah, this is a, a reinterpretation of that particular uh, material.
3: You're not invited to this get together <laughs> in Trinity College, Tom. You must be yeah. devastated that you're not going. Why didn't they ask you?
1: I, well, de- de- devastation is not a word I'd use, Jerry. Uh, I, I would absolutely never have um, been uh, on anybody's invitation list. Um, well, you, you know the story. I mean, it's it's very odd um, when you when you take this whole thing and you realise that I'm from Drogheda and I, like everybody else, would have had the same uh, opinions of Cromwell as everybody else had and I found out uh, when I went to uh, unravel uh, the wall, if you like, uh, you know, and to see what the facts were like um, and, and that's where I've come up with this uh, theory uh, that that a lot of people ha- agree with. But fundamentally, the Irish historians who are certainly behind this book um, are, are not in favour of what I would call a, a pugnacious amateur which is me um, because I'm in their faces and I'm trying to get them to change the the history books, uh, especially the stuff that they teach children. I mean, there's one currently on the curriculum now. It's it's by C.J. Fallon. It's called History in Focus. It was written by Dan Sheedy, and it says that three and a half thousand inhabitants of Trahada were killed, and no historian worth their salt would stand over that. So, they're, but they're not going to invite me, Jerry. It's it's um, it's very much an academic show. I am not an academic. Um, and maybe that's the reason I shoot my mouth off um, most often because I don't have a reputation to, un- to uphold. And like I said in the Observer yesterday, if somebody can actually prove me wrong and nobody ever has, um, I just step away and go, well, that was a blast. That was an interesting journey.
3: Uh, do you like the description, Cromwell's Irish defender, a stubborn, blinkered gadfly?
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and you know I see this all the time on online as well, where they said, "Oh, his his work has been debunked," and you know this guy is shooting. He hasn't a clue what he's talking about. You know, but there are far more discerning people out there, um, Jerry, who have read my stuff and mm. they're, you know, and who you can't argue with the facts. I mean, the problem with this is that it's not. It's it's an emotive subject, yeah. So you know, people come to it with baggage, and, and, and um, it, it's genuine. Like saying Hitler, you know, and and you have to white stay clean if you want to look at it objectively. Which is, you know, it's exactly. I, I have never been um, seriously challenged by any historian anywhere, and yeah. that's that's absolutely categoric. So, um, but it's it's just odd, I have to say, and I do kind of smile to myself when I see the academics doing this, because my work will become mainstream. There's no question. It could be 300 years. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it will. <laughs> you know, that, that that exudes a real confidence. But come back to that figure you mentioned there: three and a half thousand people, uh, sixteen forty nine massacred, which is what is written about in Irish history at Drogheda. You, this is the bone of contention. When you see that, you go mad. You say it wasn't innocent citizens.
1: It's a very, it's a very narrow point I'm making, Jerry. Yeah, you 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 outlined it very well there. It's a very narrow point. I mean, I'm simply saying, although I will con- contest what you said. You said people. I didn't say people. What what the books says say, say the history books currently is inhabitants, mm. and that's nonsense because um, the shock and awe and the reason the massacre was was dreadful uh, in its in all its it uh, you know. Dimensions back in that day was because the soldiers were all disarmed and killed and it was a massacre. It was a, it was a, an absolute massacre. Now, they, they, they were um, legitimately killed because the, the Geneva Convention of the time allowed the attacking army that privilege. But the thing was, it didn't happen. It hadn't happened anywhere and it happened in Drogheda. But of course, it morphed over the years into a massacre of civilians, which is just simply wrong. Cromwell excluded civilians from uh, all of the warfare uh, during the nine months that he was here. Now, subsequent to that, um, and and in the Cromwellian plantation, which I really don't have significant opinions on, uh, Cromwellian soldiers did things that are are very different, um, Mm. but not under his watch and not under his orders.
3: The... Man who was beaten to death with his own wooden leg Is that a true story?
1: Ah yeah, well, you know It comes down to you in a pamphlet And and uh, I, I, I would uh, On balance I would say yes uh, It's one pamphlet written by one particular individual um, His name, Aston Village is actually called after um, Arthur Aston Arthur Aston was an English commander He wasn't a, a, a drachda native mm. by any manner of means He was a royalist soldier who was fighting for his precious king um, Indra at that time. So yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's that's a distinct possibility. His, in fact, his leg still exists. Would you believe I, I saw an, an image of it, it was sold recently <laughs> there. <laughs> I know the rest of them isn't too
3: healthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the head of Kahoo. I won't go there. Uh, let's keep let's keep it country. Um, the other thing is, why do they have to say that you failed history in secondary school? Did you, Tom? Terry, I get off on that.
1: I have to tell you, I, I, I recently posted my uh, leaving certificate results on, on, on uh, my Facebook page and yes, I got an F. I had no interest whatsoever. Now, that's an F. I, you know, I was dreadful at history. I couldn't tell you the difference between a Fenian and a black and tan. I was, I just did not know. Um, but you know, I, I seem to have the grey cells that that kind of you know I gravitated towards history as a, as a very young adult, and I thought you know I just I'd like I'm interested in this now. Mm. But as a teenager, I had absolutely no interest. But I get off on it, and the reason I do is because I'm an amateur. And I've essentially, in my opinion, um, changed a perception of Irish history. And I think that's a David and Goliath story that hasn't been written yet. And by the way, I'm writing that. I'm getting so much mileage out of this. My next book, as is uh, outlined in The in the Observer, is Making a Massacre. And that is a hilarious twist on the Making a Murder murder. Murderer, yes uh, Net, Netflix sensation that, that happened years ago but, the, but they're making a massacre that didn't happen and and, 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 and it fosters as I've often said anti-English uh, feeling uh, which in these day this day and age, it's just not helpful and I think it's completely wrong.
3: So the next one's on the way to build on Cromwell at Drogheda, Cromwell an honourable enemy, Cromwell was framed and the novel which I have here beside me, The Protector, which you published earlier in the year. Look, when you put the mask on display back in 2000, that's still (laughs) talked about today, I have to tell you. (laughs) And all the furor that that caused when you said he's back. But here's the thing. Do you still, or is that history, and this is in the piece yesterday, um, that, you know, you got a bit of abuse, you actually got threats, they threatened to burn your house, is that true?
1: They did, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, without going into too too significant detail, I did get a letter that was in my letterbox and I hightailed it down to the garden station. And I brought it in and the guy says, well, why would anyone want to kill you? And my immediate retort was, well, I've written some history books. And he said, well, they must have been very bad. So <laughs> I, <laughs> Sorry,
3: I don't mean to laugh, but it sounds no,
1: no. funny. I, I, I genuinely don't take any of that seriously. I mean, I, I know defenders of, look, it's a historic event. It's, it's the it may as well have happened on a different planet, planet the economic, religious, political Culture, everything was totally different then. I don't believe we can judge from this distance. So you do have um, individuals with uh, opinions, and 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 trust me, there are people listening to me right now who are just the bile is building up inside of them, mm. um, and I know that, and, and I appreciate that. Um, but you know, read a book and read a balanced book, and 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 deal with the facts as opposed to what you've been taught, which is a conditioning and a, and a tradition that's that's completely erroneous.
3: Do you think they'll? Continue to ignore you. I'm talking about the academics and the people behind this new book and uh, the getting together in Trinity. Is it convenient to ignore you? Would you be, you know, that gadfly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's it's
1: very convenient for some of them to dismiss me as a crank, and and I get that. But there are, as I said to you, Jerry, trust me, there are loads of historians, maybe not necessarily on this island. Um, who uh, would agree wholeheartedly with the, with the kind of things I say? Because it's again, you it, it can't. This isn't a scientific solution that's very difficult to understand. Mm. This is, uh, you know, I've put a YouTube video up there. I've gone through all of the the, the 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 facts, and you can't conclude anything other than the fact that yes, some civilians, and we have no idea what the number was. Maybe a handful. Maybe. Maybe I'll concede 100, but that's by, you know, by accident or certainly wasn't deliberate, collateral damage or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, three and a half thousand of Drahadas inhabitants killed. It, it, it just, look, I mean, it's, it's just absolutely not true. And, and yes, I will defend this to my dying day. But, but trust me, my, my work, the message is getting out there, but very, very slowly.
3: One way or the other, he made his mark and historically, uh, you know, this will always remain a a dark day in in the history of Drahada. Isn't it amazing, uh, even though we were talking back to 1649, which is a long, long time ago, as you've alluded to several times in our conversation, that it still gets the gander up in people one way or the other? (laughs)
1: It amazes me. It really does. I mean, any time I put something again online, uh, you know, you just get these people, especially if it's a, an Irish site or you get these Americans who are m- much more vociferous about this kind of stuff than, than Irish people are. But yeah, no, it, it's... it's And it's very clear, Jerry, that just simmering below the surface that there is, you know, that grudge still being held, that anti English sentiment. I mean I know look I I'm perfectly happy to see England lose to Wales this evening and that would be 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 lovely. Um but you know there's stuff that runs deeper. You know as I said before like this is my contribution to the good friday agreement because I firmly believe that that um you know people immediately default to the to the bad place when somebody speaks well of Cromwell. Um but it, it, you know after he left the the protestant ascendancy took place Catholicism was um, you know, downgraded to significant levels, and that's the Ireland that we all, you know, are taught about, and, and that happened. But I'm not talking about any of that, and I don't judge any of that. I'm just talking about the civilian aspect of it. And you know, if 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 we if we learn from our history, you know, look what's happening in the world today. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much going on. Yes. That I, I often think of Putin and and the, the the background that man must have had to end up what he's doing. One death is too much, you know.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, anyway, that's the pontification now,
3: Tom. Uh, thank you for joining me. We look forward to the new one, Making a Massacre, which will appear sometime this year. Building on the others about Cromwell, you're uh, capturing the attention yet again. The story rolls on. Tom, thank you so much for joining me again <laughs> no, on this well show. Oh, hello, thank Take you. Take care of yourself, you. bye-bye. Thank That's you. Tom Riley there. My next guest on the show today is a man who plies his trade now at an ancient craft. It was his hobby for a number of years, but the pandemic forced his hand, and may I tell you, when I see what's sitting around me, here in studio today thank god it did he's known as on the blacksmith tom king you're very welcome to late lunch thank you very much jerry it's a pleasure to be here thank you for joining me today it's true to say you were at this blacksmithing or whatever you call it for a number of years on a part-time basis correct tell us what happened how did that then become your full-time job correct well i've been always making jerry so the Ultimately, when the first
2: lockdown established itself, I got a phone call from HR to say, Tom, please stay at home until further notice and uh, we'll be in contact to let you know what the plan is. So I just thanked Mary for letting me know, put the phone down and just said, right, let's get, you know, let's get making because now we can make in a more civilised time rather than late, late evening and i started making my celtic jewelry my celtic pendants my uh, triskels pinicular brooches everything associated with the ancient uh, boyne valley and the ancient east and i popped it up on facebook and it just literally exploded the the reaction from a world which was obviously in a lockdown situation similar to ourselves the footfall was not as busy people travelling you know airport traffic everything was kind of on a pause so people had more time to look in on laptops people had more time to look in on smart devices and they picked up then whatever their, you know, whatever their interest was. People you know, of a mythical interest, ancient Ireland. I was able to pop my art into that mainstream and it just literally took off. The interest was incredible. So the confidence became really high then. So I was able to make that executive decision and uh, make the jump.
3: (laughs) So you rang HR back and said... (laughs)
2: Well, ultimately it led to that because I I handed my noahs in, but I I began really to focus on it because I started thinking about it in more context. And I remember speaking to a good friend of mine over in Sligo. They're a blacksmith artist by the name of Michael Budd. And twice I spoke to him this year already and he said to me twice, do you realise how lucky you are where you are? Because of my location, like we can hop in the, the car and how many minutes would it take us to go from here, this office, to uh, New Grange? Ten minutes. It's a
3: hop. It's, it's right. a hop. That's all.
2: And I speak to international, uh, you know, visitors coming, twenty-hour flights, fourteen-hour flights. I had a lady from Melbourne last last week, two weeks ago, Nova Scotia. People planning their holidays from you know months back. Now it's reality, now it's happening, and now they're enjoying it, and now they're here. And when they come to the Boyne Valley, they're making inquiries to come to the forge of the Smooth Road, mean And, of course, I give them the experience as, as part of the making, and the experience is, is two different uh, setups, shall we say.
3: Where does this come from? Because the blacksmith was part and parcel Correct and right. of every town and village in this country. Correct
2: and right. But, you see, if we think in terms of an ancient past, let's say, t- take, for example, Newgrange. Let's take Nouth and Doubt. Let's take Lockcrew Crewe and Fort Knox. These are sacred monuments that were built for people. So the end of life and they would process their near and dearest loved ones and they would believe they, they, they venture to the next world. So the monuments were built for people by the people. Now roll on 5000 years to where we are sat right now. If we have visitors coming to Newgrange, sure, you can be there. You can enjoy the ambience and the atmosphere of the incredible Bóinne site. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can say, yes, I've been to Bóinne," And then you can get the experience of someone with a vast amount of knowledge can come and tell you the story about Bonia. What I do then is I take it to another level and I say, well, look, let's become the people of the Bruin and the Boyna, the two of the Dana and the the early settlers, or the time when they started making, uh, you know, making with their hands, making, discovering the bloom as we have here. And a, a tremendously exciting phase in history where they're going from a stone age to discover the materials. They discovered if they heat these materials to vast temperatures, the, the, you know the, they can generate this bloom, which is the fundamental raw materials to blades, to swords, to shields, everything they needed to defend the sacred uh, Boyne Valley. The High King and the High Queens sat on the throne at Tara. So again, it's a very
3: exciting phase. So what you are is a living embodiment oh, yes. of those ancient times, As you say, you're making the comparison that Correct. you can come to Newgrange, but those people aren't there. Correct. But you are here now. I want to give people that experience to become yes. the early settlers. Yes. Like
2: even where the forge is, Jerry, it's in Boharmine, which is a little village between Navan and Kells. Now, if you look at the history of Boharmine, or even the history of Ireland, there was a significant uh, map, shall we say, where there was five smooth roads that led to the hill of Tara. Bohemian is named off one of those smooth roads, which was bringing the Western communities all the way from Sligo, Mayo, and Galway, all the way across to the ancient east to, to the Hill of Tara. That is, smooth road was known as Sleevassel. And Bohemian is named after that because Bohemian means smooth road. So I have that and I'm saying, do you know what, that's incredible because if I say now where my forge is and I describe it literally saying, you know, it's the forge of the smooth road, sleeve Vassal, ancient archery to the hill of Tara, that's very appealing then to an international audience who's, you know, deciding on what they want to do regarding... When they come to Ireland, this is what we want to do. Mm. And I'm getting messages six months, eight months before they even travel, which is wonderful because they're clear in what they want to do rather than just land in Dublin airport. Right, Ireland, show me what you got. You know what I mean? So
3: they arrive into you and you are there, a working, living embodiment of this. Hand me that little piece of metal there. Explain this. Now, listeners can't see this, but this is... uh, I'm holding this here. And really, this is what it started with with our ancestors Correct, when they right. discovered this. Yes,
2: this was one of the activities that we worked with uh, with my friends at the, the Ishnok or the Baltina Festival there earlier in the year in the first week of May. So my friends, they set up their their, their, their furnace or their kiln uh, three or four hours of a Friday evening getting this vessel ready, ready for to be fired Saturday morning. They then got their ingredients, chucked it all in, sealed it all up, lit the fire and this fire was burning or an, an accelerated fire burning for about seven, eight, nine hours. And once that time has passed, then they tap into the side of the clay and then outpours the molten
3: metal. And this is the molten this is it. metal that's, solidified. That's the
2: bloom. They call it a bloom, which is the fundamental, the very basic form of metal. Now, there's a lot of work needed there to knock out the slag, mm. knock out the impurities. But again, that's that's how it was discovered. That's how it was worked. You know, this was when someone would, would sat with a leather bellows, catching the air, pushing it. There would have been a little channel under the ground Going to the forge, and somebody somebody would have worked that there, you know, a vast amount of hours. Again, knocking all the slag, the impurities out of that, and creating that pure metal. So this was the
3: transformation from the Stone Age. Correct and right, yes to this Correct. and then they created their weapons yes. and implements and everything. Correct. Like They became so skilled with it, you see. Yes.
2: They learned the principles. They learned and understood once working the fire. And they became, you know, they, they created the blade and the sword and the shield or the ceremonial jewellery. Again, you can imagine if Queen Maeve came from Sligo and mm. some of the great Celtic festivals there where she was summoned and it took many weeks to come. Yes. And she arrived and, and the two the at the Tower would just look at Queen Maeve and say, look at the amazing dress, the ceremonial jewellery belonging to her community or her understanding considering where she came from. So the Celts met there on the Hill of Tara and they would have had a a, a jolly good time but Mm. there would have been a fanfare of a celebration welcoming the great Queen on site because again you know who she was and what she represented, and how long it would have taken to, for her to come on horseback from Sligo over to the Hill of Tara.
3: I'm reaching back, holding this. Yeah. You know, thousands of years. It's it's a piece of art in its own work it You've yeah. brought me in some of the things that you work on yourself. I What's agree. that you have there? This is
2: a triskel here, the three, the triple spiral, shall we say, and I based that off the artwork inside Bruna Boinia. Yes. So the Bruna Boinia monument is the only one with the triple spiral on it in the in the Boyne Valley ancients. Yes. So I, I have a, a rough, I have a go at it there regarding what I present as my own artistic expression. And I make that and I sell that. And it's, you know, it's quite a popular... Tom, it's beautiful. Well, thank
3: you so much, Jerry. It's beautiful. And look what's on my right here. Look at this. I've never seen a Bridget's Cross like this. Well, thank you so much.
2: This was an idea I had about several months ago now. And I I, I remember navigating the concept in my mind and saying, right, here's what I want to do and here's how I'm going to do it. Now, like every design, you go through a test or a prototype. Sure, there was small little tweaks I needed to make having made the first one, but it was still a very exciting phase to say, look, let's do this and let's correct what we had concerned with and all of a sudden we we got the box ticked i could make one and i i i made it regarding it's a 4 mil wire it's on a little plint there which gives a little bit of dimension away from the wall beautiful it's woven there with the the, the green ties. color i love it's the green, green the same color as yeah, the, the, the reeds themselves it, it took three three greens to to get to the green where i was happy That's with you it, wanted. because i needed to keep the authentic kind of visual regarding the original read yes because there's a lovely story with with St Bridget and the origin of the St Bridget's Cross and and again I have to respect that because St Bridget herself and even the goddess Bridget in the previous world she was very close to the blacksmith Mm. there was a lovely story there regarding you know she loved those who worked the elements the water and the fire yes so I'm really happy with that because again when I make that and again, as an ambassador sat where I'm making at the Forge in Bohemian, the world is looking in through Instagram and Facebook and all of a sudden there's or- or crosses packed Tom, up and away it
3: goes. Tom, I can see that on the walls with so many houses in America and yeah. Britain and all over the world. I-, I take it when people come and visit you yes. and they see what you do, people want to you know, Correct. buy from you Correct and, and right, have yeah. these in their homes. Absolutely, yes. yeah.
2: Absolutely. And, and as I say... Where we are and where, where you know, our location, we're absolutely blessed with that. And again, to appreciate someone who's travelled so far and to allow me, you know, come into my space, into my world... And, and allow me give them an experience and give them an enjoyment that when it's finished it could be it could be an hour it could be four hours yes they'll turn around and say that was incredible I really enjoyed that and I'm I'm, I'm absolutely smitten with that that's then. what
3: people love because they love to really you know go away with that warm feeling and yeah. they would of course on a forge yeah. in a blacksmith yeah. a, and feel that they've really you know experienced something quite unique so people come to you they visit do you do the bit of food there I do yes I have a little bit of fun <laughs> as well I have my my <laughs> menu uh,
2: most restaurants have
3: the early bird
2: menu. But I have a very unique menu, uh, Jerry. I have the early Bard menu, <laughs> 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 and I, I have two very popular dishes on the bar, on the Bard menu. The first one is the banquet burger, yes, created on the very famous uh, mythical fry, uh, frying pan. And the second one, which is a very popular dish, it's called the mound of sausages. Based on the mound of hostages at Tara, it's a it's a cracker. People love it, you know. A little bit of rocket salad, a little bit of olive oil and
3: sourdough bread. They just love it. <laughs> it just actually goes hand in hand with what you do as well. May I say you look magnificent. Well, thank you because so much. You have a beautiful beard. Oh, you're very but good. What's that round your shoulders? Well,
2: well, what my friend Davog uh, Ryan, he's based in France, and uh, he reached out was at this time last year. And uh, he, he he wanted to come to the forge and bring his friend Colin Keating from Dublin, who's a photographer. And of course, I was delighted with that. Again, you know, an opportunity to meet new people, to meet, you know, opportunity regarding photography and a little bit of promotion for the forge. And Davog asked me, Have you got any, uh, have you got a, a costume? And I said, uh, No, all I have is the blacksmith's apron. So uh, Davog said, Look, we'll have to sort that out. So I met Davog and Navin, uh, and we went on tour and ended up in a great big uh, store where they sell sheep's, say, uh, uh, rugs <laughs> so we got one of these sheep's rugs and we got the knife and we cut it down in the middle of it and put it over my head and Dalvik says that's way too clean. So we got back to the forge, and we got the we used the the concrete floor, yes. to give it a little bit of character. Again, trying to create that authentic character yes. of let's say four thousand years ago, a time when if you walked through Drogheda at that time, everybody would have been dressed like this yes. because they would have been in out to New Grange or all that type of traffic because that's how it was. Because if you can imagine what Drogheda port would have looked like versus. The traffic or the goods coming in, feeding the people of uh, Newgrange and the Boyne Valley, and says, because yes. it was a critical part or infrastructure of the East. Yes. So, again, it's all a bit of fun because, as I say, when you come to Newgrange and you can see Newgrange and if you can listen to Newgrange, that's fine. But if I I offer then become Newgrange, become the ancient past, become the people or a crafter in my own a, uh, aspect, to this, you know, when I'm blessed with my hands to be able to make yes. and the forging and the uh, uh, the, uh, the Celtic jewellery is very much the forefront of what I do, including the commissions.
3: Well, you see, making in your family goes oh. back uh, just one generation from you. Because I want to say the heartiest thank you to your mother, <laughs> Teresa King in Bohemian. Hello, Teresa. I know you're tuned in today. Your lovely son is with me here. Thank you so much for the apple tart. You know me, Teresa. You know me, sending me in an apple tart. How much I love them. Thank you for well, bringing it. She
2: she lit up when I spoke to my mother uh, last week. Says, "Look, I got an invite to go and meet Jerry. We'll be talking to Jerry on Monday." Oh straight away she had the gears in motion she was up first thing this morning <laughs> Apples peeled, <laughs> everything ready, nine o'clock, all good to go. Oh, God, You're
3: so good. You're so good, Teresa. You really are. Yeah. Back to you and, and, and what you do. You tie in, a course, with you mentioned New Grange and the monuments here, yes. Hillitar and all that type of stuff as well. Is it an all year thing? Just for, for people listening yes. to us today, yes. people are coming here Correct. all year to Correct. visit. Yes. yes. The numbers are not so many. For
2: example, there was one week in particular in, Ju- in July, I had 76 visitors, three bus tours from my friends with Irish day trips. They're picking up people in the city and they call it the ancient east of the, the Celtic tour mm. and uh, we again it's all international uh, football where they have uh, online bookings and they take the customers and they bring them for a uh, you know they, they meet, meet up at the Molly Malone statue they head off to the Hill of Tara they head off to Trim King John's Castle they come to me then for an hour and then off to Sarah and Niall at La Crewe, yes, and then on, on to Four and then back to the city so that's their day out isn't it
3: just wonderful to hear that because yeah. for years yeah. we didn't really exploit what right. we have on our doorstep it's, a, it's
2: an absolute I, I, we I, are now I describe it like this Jerry. if you consider Ireland like a bank mm. think of the ancient East and the Boyne Valley in my own opinion that's the gold within the safe Yes. There's, there's this, you can look at it, and, and certainly a lot of people can agree with that. And, and again, yeah, I know there's other like the Wild Atlantic Way, and again, that's treasures, there's no doubt about mm. it. But when you consider what we can go to in 10 minutes' time, and we've stood beside the 5,000 year old bruin ancient memorial site, it's just incredible.
3: And it's. Right beside the airport, and major port in, in Dublin, Dunleary, etc. Sure, yeah. it, it, it's a no-brainer, really. Correct. For you, now there are people listening to us today, of course, who are natives, and they yeah. may only be finding out about you today, yes. Tom. Yes, What about our locals to go and see it? More than welcome, absolutely. Reach out and we, we can arrange it. I mean,
2: that's ultimately what I'm planning. Now, where I'm working from at the minute is a, a disused farm premises, shall we say, yeah. where the lean-to once held round bales of straw and it became the straw shed. You take out those bales of straw and all of a sudden I have a cavity where there's three animals placed inside of it. And now I have the forge of the smooth road, uh, you know, Schlie Vassil, ancient corridor to the hill of Tara. And that's a magical kind of sentence because it plants, you know, ideas in people's minds saying, yes. I'd like to come and see. And more importantly, we have the experience where I'll do a demonstration and, and make my, what I call the Children of Lear Swan pendant. And then we allow our visitor or my guest to make what I call the Crescent Moon pendant, which is a very simple, low risk, activity but it's involvement it's talking around how it is made and you hand the hammer to my guests and they have a go they do it themselves but it's all very close one to one supervision PPE and all is involved but it's, it's like I had a grown man become very emotional there during the year. Los Angeles California spent all his life in the city And I handed this guy the hammer to say, Jim, you're going to have a go. He had a go. Three or four heats later, the pendant is made. It's finished up with the oil. The laced leather is passed through it. And I handed it to Jim. And he became very emotional. While his 15 colleagues from America just went, ah, and he just started clapping. So he can see how it can affect people you know yes. and these people when you deal with people are, who are involved in a city lifestyle mm. that's a completely different horizon you take to do like, yeah, it especially when you plant them into the mm. Boyne valley and say come and enjoy this experience Yes.
3: well listen great to meet you today good luck in the future congratulations on yes. your yes. Mead tourism well, Award well thank you so much none at all well done to you and yeah. well deserved and it's a rightful acknowledgement for you and what you do well, if people want to contact tom king what's the quickest way to well, get to you well you can you? get me on instagram Tom King one You are there Well thank you so much If I,
2: if I may Jerry If I can just m- m- mention And make a big yep. shout out To my good friend Anthony Murphy Anthony has been Mythical so supp- Ireland Oh he's been so supportive. Brilliant man He allowed me To uh, place my pendants And my work On his website And uh, that was An incredible step up yes. Shall we say to, From where I was To where I am now To the point Where the decision was made to go full-time. And that's also a huge thanks to my many dear friends of the mythical Ireland community. They've been so incredibly supportive, supportive each and every one of them there. Mm. I owe them a huge gratitude of thanks.
3: They're great people, and Anthony is one He's top one guy. one of the best. There's no great doubt Great to hear it. that as well. Yeah. Continued success, Tom, to you and all you do. Thank, thank you thank so much for joining me today. You're
2: yeah, very welcome. Thank you very much.
3: A major news survey of teenagers over the ages of 12 found that the proportion of 12 to 19-year-olds reporting severe anxiety has doubled from 11% to 22% since 2012. And I'm sure what all we're hearing, that is no surprise. We're going to talk about it for the next while to uh, somebody who's regularly with me on the show. Dr. Mary O'Kane is a lecturer in psychology and education and author of Perfectly Imperfect Parenting. Hello, Mary
0: Hey, Jerry. Lovely to talk to you.
3: It's great to have you with us again this afternoon on the show. A double from eleven percent to twenty-two percent since twenty twelve. Twelve to nineteen year olds—no surprise to you either.
0: Oh, uh, Jerry. You know, no, no surprise. Um but it is worrying. And funny, Jerry. This was a big survey. And um, this one was actually conducted before COVID. But you know what it was? It—it's called the My World Two survey. So in 2012, UCD and Jigsaw, you know, Jigsaw who work mm. with, with teenagers for the mental health. So they had a big survey back in 2012, more than 19,000 teenagers and young adults, and they were asking them about their mental health, but they went back to revisit it just before COVID. And as you say, um, the numbers that said they had severe anxiety had doubled from 11% to 22%. And one of the really interesting things they found, Jerry, was a possible link to social media so what they found was the the teenagers who were telling them that they were more anxious that they were feeling more depressed were also the teenagers who were spending more time online now i must just say one little thing here They couldn't prove that being online was causing the higher levels of anxiety and depression like it is possible that maybe if i'm more anxious and i'm more depressed Mm. i'm therefore spending more time online but i think a lot of us who work in education and psychology would would be very concerned about that but there was some good news jerry there was some good news and it's really important for us as parents and the good news was, what they found was that teenagers were telling us something that in psychology we kind of knew already, um, but they were telling us that, you know, what really mattered to them, having what we called a consistently supportive adult. So in psychology, we're always talking about every child needs one good adult. Now, hopefully you have more than one mm-hmm. in your life, like the more the better. But Sherry, what they really need is one. They need somebody there that... Believe in them that you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to get it right all the time, but that child knows you are on their side. And these teenagers come back and they said, you know what really matters? Just having somebody there. They might not be able to solve all my problems. They might not, you know, know, have all the answers. That doesn't matter. Just knowing that they're there for me and they're trying to help me makes a difference. So I think for parents, like that's a huge thing to know. That just being there, just loving them and doing what you can to support them really makes a difference.
3: Well, that is really Good to hear, because going back to the social media, they're talking about anyone who spends three hours online or more. There may, as you say, and it just may be a link there. But come back to the whole, you, you mentioned something interesting there. We're all built differently, Mary, and some are more anxious than others, and that's just in the DNA. Yeah. Um, when you have a, ch- a teen, and, and you know the way they, they grow up, and they, they look at you slightly differently, are there signs yeah. to look out for with anxiety?
0: Oh, can I be honest with you, Jerry? I think all children are individual. Mm. And I think when your child is really struggling, do you know something, Jerry? You see it? You absolutely yes. see it in them. So. What we usually say is, and I, if I can use COVID as an example. Mm. So I'm hearing from an awful lot of parents who would say to me that maybe prior to COVID, they would say, my child wasn't anxious at all prior to COVID. And now I'm seeing them, they're, they're worried about stuff. They're stressed about school. They're worried about friendships all the time. They're going over and over. We call it ruminating when they go over and over things in their mind. And we call it catastrophizing when they look at the worst case scenario. So they go over things and they they always nearly they start to expect the worst. Then I have parents who say to me, my child was very anxious before COVID, loved lockdown. Lockdown really agreed with them. And since they've had to go back into the world, they're getting anxious. So it's it's, it's hitting them in very different ways. Mm. But it's really not surprising that something like COVID would have an impact on so many teens." And an awful lot of teens may have felt a bit anxious after COVID. And that's completely normal. We all, we all felt anxious. Yes. You know, living the last few years have been anxiety provoking for every one of us. But what I'd say to parents is if you've noticed over the last so many months, so you, you, over a period of time, you've noticed that your child just is not themselves. Maybe they're not sleeping properly. Maybe they're struggling to go into school. Jerry, so many of them, and um, you know, school can become a place for anxiety. Maybe it's friendship. But if you've noticed it over a few months, I think you definitely really need to think about, hold on a minute. We, we need to see if we can support
3: this child. And that's where being that person, which you probably should be, you should really be as a parent, that you, you know, they're close to you or one or other of you. That's where that then comes into play. That's your big trump card. Oh, it
0: really is. And funny, Jerry, because with, with the little ones, say over the last few years with younger children, and um, I was always saying, well, you know what? These years have been traumatic for everybody, but for really young children, um, home is Absolutely, their safe space. So within that home, if everything was calm in the home, it was really good for them. But for our teenagers over the last few years, what are teenagers supposed to do? They are the whole role of adolescence is to become independent. It's to look for your own identity. Like they're work trying to figure out who am I, where is my place in the world, and an awful lot of that, Cherry, is done by getting out and about. Mm. So the last few years have been, I think they have been damaging to an awful lot of teenagers, social and emotional development. So they're sort of struggling a little bit more. But Jerry, there's so much that as a parent we can do. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is there's actually a free talk. I'm giving a free talk for parents on Thursday in Mullen Parish Hall at 7 o'clock. And it's on behalf of, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know if you're in Dulic or around the Stamullen area, and um, the Feel Good Project. Yes. And it's a free talk for parents. And at that, I would say, even if you have a younger like we're really talking about 9 and 10 on up and um, if you're if you're thinking to yourself you know what I know my child is anxious at the moment, I, they're not themselves you know, I just don't know what's going on I would say to parents come along 7 o'clock it's free and what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down how we recognise anxiety in our children, I'm going to break down that what's going on in their brains when it's happening, I'm going to talk about the stuff that as parents that we sometimes do and we think it'll help and it doesn't help and then i'm going to go through stuff that we can do to be that one good adult to really help them along and um, so i mean we we'd love and um, your listeners to if whether you're a parent a grandparent an educator and um, if you have a teenager or a you know, late primary school child in your life that you just feel is anxious at the moment do come along and I'm really hoping that we'll be able to help you with really practical advice on what you can do to be that one good adult and to help them.
3: And you need to book, let me say, because uh, there is demand to be there on Thursday evening at seven o'clock in, in Parish Hall. And you can book by going online and emailing DFT at gmail.com. That's Dulik, D for Donal, F for Fred, for tom at gmail.com. And I'll remind you again about that in a few moments time. I'm interested yeah. to, uh, and, and you're going to expand on all this uh, on Thursday evening, but it, it is a, a dichotomy really as such, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you mentioned that uh, adult by the side of the teenager, the home being the safe space, and yet they have to go out into the world and take the knocks, etc. that happen out there. It's marrying oh, all yeah. that, Mary, isn't it?
0: It is. And funny, Jerry. and parents listening might relate to this one. When teenagers, well, when our children, and we're anxious, but our teenagers as well, when anybody is anxious, there's a part of our brain right in the centre of our brain, a little part of the brain called the amygdala. But basically, I know we've spoken about this before. Mm. It's what we call the seat of fight or flight. And one of the things it does when we're anxious, that part of the brain is firing on all cylinders. And when that happens, one of the major things that that part of the brain tells us to do is avoid. That's like the flight to get away. So what a lot of parents might find with their children is, although, I mean, obviously we really want home to be this safe space, but... Sometimes what we find is because children are feeling anxious, they try to avoid everything that makes them anxious. And when they do that in the short term, it seems to work. Because if I'm if school is making me very anxious, if going out um, you know, to play my GAA or whatever is making me anxious, if I'm going out and doing this stuff it's making me anxious. And I think, okay, I'll just avoid that. I won't do it. I feel better short term. But long-term Jerry, it's very dangerous. It reinforces the anxiety. And one of the things we're going to be talking about to parents is actually sort of supporting them to push outside their comfort zone because there's a real danger, and particularly with the teenagers who do need to be out mixing, they really do. There's a danger that if they avoid, 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 we we nearly they go in onto themselves. And you know that saying, wasn't it, Robert Frost, the best way out is always true. And Jerry, it's true. Very often it's about us being that support, but also helping them out of their comfort zone, helping them to, to take baby steps to progress to where they want to be.
3: And to listen. I know I'm, I, I have to yeah. say, I have to scold myself about this at times because I remember my own children saying to me, you don't listen to me. And probably I didn't really listen, but <laughs> listening is the key, isn't it?
0: Oh, Jerry, you know, Joe, and that's another thing I'm going to be saying to parents. Sometimes we think, oh, my gosh, I need I urgently need an expert. And now we, we've all been in a place, I think, with, with our kids at some time. Where we think I really need a doctor, I really need a speech language therapist. I nearly nearly really need a psychologist. Whatever. It's happened to us all. But for a lot of kids, when they're just starting to get anxious, probably the best tool we have to support them is us. It's ourselves. And as you say, Jerry, it's it's being that one good adult, you know, it's that they know that we are there supporting them. We're not running around trying to do everything for them. We're not trying to keep them in and protect them away from everything. But we are we are their little safety net. We're there for them. We're listening to them. Connection. You know, our, our connection with our kids, Jerry, I think is the, one of the most important parental tools we have.
3: It certainly is, and that's why this wonderful lady, folks, uh, named her book "Perfectly Imperfect Parenting." It just sums it all <laughs> up for all of us. Anyway, just to remind you again, St Mullen Parish Hall this Thursday, seven to eight thirty. Dr. Mary O'Kane, lecturer in psychology and education and wonderful author, will be there to work through several scenarios with you. And again, to say, if you want to go, you got a book, you got to email dulic, DFT at gmail.com. And there's a number there as well I will uh, pass out to you in a moment. Mary, always a pleasure to talk. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic work and good luck to you on Thursday.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Cherry.
3: Bye. N- not at all. Bye-bye. That's uh, Dr. Mary O'Kane there. There's a number you can ring as well if you want to take note of it. 41 988 That's 41 988 If you have a teen or someone approaching their teenage years and you'd like to go along, you'd be most welcome this Thursday evening at seven o'clock in Stamullen Parish Hall. you Bruce Springsteen is coming to town next year. Yes, he plays three gigs in Dublin between the 5th and the 9th of May 2023 at the RDS in Dublin. He's some man. I saw him with Graham Norton recently and he's just, everybody on the panel deferred to him. He's regarded just so well by everybody. He really, really is. He's a wonderful man. And he told the story of a concert he was playing in America and a young lad came up and met him and says, my mother loves you. And he says, where do you live? I think it was in Detroit or somewhere. And he told him, and he went off with the young fla after the concert at the house. And the mother made him tea and a bit of cake. And he's visited that woman and that family every time he's gone back to that city since. That just shows you the essence of the man, the boss, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. What about the refund on the plastic bottles and cans that's come in today? Fifteen cent back uh, if you uh, return a can or a bottle up to five hundred mils. And twenty-five cents above five hundred mils, it's on its way. Shall we all remember? We don't all. My generation and others remember the deposit scheme for the uh, the mineral bottles, the glass bottles. You bring them in and you know, used to get a few cents or pence on them as well. And so when we were kids, we hadn't uh, wrecks. And I remember going visiting my cousins, the Nugent's in Talla. Morphy's shop was next door and we used to bring the bottles in and get the refund on them. And then we'd climb over the back wall <laughs> and borrow a few bottles the next day and go back in again and so we were making a few pence for our toffees and sweets and that and recirculating <laughs> the mineral bottles in the shop. We were dibbled all together, weren't we? The Late Lunch Artist, Artist, of the Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Yes, time for Artist of the Week on Late Lunch. And I said to you earlier on, how have I missed this man for so long? You see, my Artist of the Week this week is Francis... Albert Sinatra, who was born on the 12th of December 1915 in New Jersey. The only child of Italian immigrants, Natalina Garaventa and Antonio Sinatra, who was better known, the dad was better known as Boxer Marty O'Brien. He took an Irish name. The boxer and his wife produced a bruiser in Frank. He was half rare at birth. He weighed in, listen to this, at 13 and a half Almost a stone. His mother was known as Dolly, and she was a real driven woman who pushed young Frank to be the best he could. She gave him everything she could in her lifetime. He's a real smart dresser, he always looked well. She, Dolly, was a midwife. His dad worked in the fire service while the family ran a pub in New Jersey. Frank was a paper delivery boy as a young fella and then he worked for a time in the local shipyard. Schooling wasn't his thing, but it was music and singing where Frank wanted to be. And young Frank would perform at local social clubs, appeared on Jersey City's WAAT radio station as his impressive vocal range began to be noticed. He Started singing professionally in his late teens, and though he couldn't read music, he learned by ear. After singing with the Harry James Band in the mid to late 1930s, he made a move to join the prestigious Tommy Dorsey Band as lead singer in 1940, which repelled him to new heights. Vast audiences, and uh, it would pave the way from his lead role with that band to his solo career a couple of years later. More and on, but today, let's begin my week of Sinatra in song. I just love this one. I had to start the week with it, with Frank himself and daughter Nancy.
1: I know I
2: stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me.
3: what a beautiful song it is yes Frank and Nancy Sinatra Frank my artist of the week this week along with his daughter an absolute classic how am I going to pick four more songs from this man's repertoire it's absolutely unbelievable but I will I promise you I'll pick four good ones before the end of the week and we'll do it again round about this time tomorrow on the show now our competition all this week I have a 100 euro voucher each day to give away for uh, my Meath card the 100 euro goes on the card and it's spendable in 300 outlets across Mead and online too check it out you'll be supporting local by buying a my meath card my all the information is there and that's mi my The question today was which of these comedians is from Mead? it was the question dredo Kane, jason Byrne, or fred cook and of course it is mr fred cook from kelton county mead well done to gary ennis from Beliva. you're our first winner this week on Late Lines thank you to all of you who WhatsApped or texted us your answers uh, to the show you have another opportunity for the next four days four more opportunities to win that 100 euro yes it's moving around the country they're taking it out from the capital city and have been for quite some time I'm talking about opera and Don Pasquale classic opera coming to the solstice tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in Navin and I'm delighted to say hello again it's been a while to the artistic director of the National Opera, Fergus Shield. Hello, Fergus. Hello, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks for joining Hello. me on the show. By God, you really are travelling the length and breadth of Ireland with this one. We are, yeah.
4: And we 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 just opened it on Saturday night in Donegal. It was our first time to do an opening night in Donegal, and we're delighted to do it. And it went really well. We've got a five-star review in today's Irish Times, so we're chuffed about that. Um, really, it's a funny opera. It's engaging. It's lively. Beautiful music, Donatella. who knows how to write beautiful melodies, and yeah, and we're we're excited to bring it right around the country. We've, as, as you said, we're in Navin tomorrow, but we're also in Dundalk uh, Tuesday of next week, and all around the country, including in January, February of next year as well.
3: And this word accessibility is what you're all about. You want to bring opera to the people. Yeah,
4: I, I think it's really important that I mean we're a national opera company. We're we're funded by the Arts Council. And our role is really to make opera available to people all around Ireland. So we do that by bringing it around the country. We've done lots of things online. We broadcast on the radio. We've got virtual reality projects. We do opera in lots of different ways. Um, But at the heart of it is our live performances in theatres. And we've got great partners in Solstice and in Town Hall and Dundalk and many other venues around the country. And that makes it easy for people to go because sometimes people... I don't know if people sometimes find the word opera a little bit uh, intimidating or something, but we're here to try and assure you it's it's for everybody. When you come, uh, it, it we sing it in Italian, but there'll be sur titles so you can follow the story, um, and you, you can really know uh, know what's going on all the way through. So that's, that's, that's what we like doing.
3: And that's a point to be made because I remember the first time I went I, I, I didn't know what to expect either to be honest with you and you know you feel it's something that it's for another place, another time but it's not actually, Fergus. When you actually go and get into it it's such an enjoyable evening's entertainment.
4: Well, and particularly this opera, Don Pasquale it's a, it's a comedy, it's a, it's a story about an old man, uh, Don Pasquale he's in his 70s and he he, he's rich, but he has no heir well he has a, he has a nephew, but he doesn't approve of his nephew's uh, him, the girl that the nephew's going to marry so he he decides that uh, the best thing might be if he got married himself to produce an heir in his old age and Of course, the nephew and his doctor and the nephew's girlfriend they all conspire and they they dress up the girlfriend as his new wife and it's it's really, it's really kind of hilarious what happens you know and it's very fast paced and It just trots along really nicely. So, yeah, I think it's it's suitable for anybody who wants to come. And I'd encourage your listeners, if they haven't tried uh, opera previously, this is a really good one to start. It's accessible, it's not too long, it's funny, it's entertaining, all those things.
3: Young love and old money. Uh, uh, That's it. An ancient combination, Fergus. It is, and it's funny
4: because you know some people say, "Oh, you know Don Pasquale," it's uh, it's an offer about people being mean to an old man, uh, but he he asks for it in many ways, and the singer we have singing this is an English baseball Graham Danby, and he is so hilarious. He's he's great comic timing, and you 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 kind of know like when you're sitting in the audience watching, you you, you can see exactly this is, this isn't going to go well for him. It's not gonna <laughs> he's not gonna end up happy ever after. Um, But uh, you can enjoy the journey throughout it. And then the the young soprano we have, Kellyanne Masterson, who's a singer from Wexford. She was part of, we have um, an opera training program uh, studio, um, and she is taking part in that. So she's a singer we've nurtured and brought on, and now she's doing her first major role. And she's just uh, such a fantastic voice. She's a real discovery if people haven't heard her before. Um, and then we've Ben McAteer singing The Doctor. Uh, ben is from yuri he's just up the road there, and he is uh, a fantastic baritone. And then the, the tenor, there's four main characters. The tenor is uh, um, a, from he's from Paris, and he's uh, fantastic, he sings all over the world. Um, Patrick Cabongo is his name. And yeah, so the, for those four singers, and there's a chorus of five, uh, others, there's an orchestra of 12 so it's quite a big yeah, production it's to a be big, bringing around the country. Yeah
3: it is a big trip I was just looking at that myself this morning so anyway it's in the solstice tomorrow night tickets from the solstice box office next Tuesday in the town hall Dundalk tickets available from the venue as well um, wish you well and uh, thank you for joining me and nice to catch you up again today Fergus. Thanks very much Jerry. good to speak to you You too, Bye-bye. take care of yourself, that's Fergus Shield there who is uh, the artistic director with Irish National Opera. Well worth checking out Donizetti's piece, Don Pascale, is absolutely brilliant. If you've never seen opera before, go and see that one. Now, just to uh, finish our show today, reminding you what's coming up on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon. Yes, one found the other missing. We're talking to relatives of the disappeared, uh, rearing an artistic child. Uh, we have a wonderful lady joining us tomorrow to talk. About it, a lumberjack from me. Yes, indeed. Customized gifts company that are sold out after the toy show on Friday evening. Locally based as well. And of course, I'm going to select another two on Tuesday for you. I just see before we go uh, that Wendy's are coming to Ireland. Did you ever eat in Wendy's when you're in the states? Yes, they're a, a burger joint and more besides. They just announced today they're moving into Ireland. They've been expanding, so there you are. The economy must be doing fairly okay when you hear news like that. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Paul McGinnis coming next uh, with the drive, fantastic music and more besides. And we'll be back with your late lunch tomorrow afternoon at half past one. A big thanks to Eamon Doyle who guided me safely through the last couple of hours.
2: LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you, or book a new showroom appointment on oh eight seven six sixty forty two.
3: Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.